Investment Management Operations is brought to you by Intelligo. Intelligo is the premier due diligence platform delivering innovative pre-investment background checks and continuous subject monitoring for some of the most sophisticated asset allocators. Their individual and company background check reports blend the critical discernment of human experts with cutting-edge AI, ensuring you receive the most thorough and rapid insights. Groups like Common Fund, Adam Street Partners, Felicitas Global Partners, and past Capital Allocators guests Hamilton Lane, AIM13, and NEPC leverage Intelligo to mitigate risk and enhance their operational due diligence process. Visit Intelligo.ai to learn more. Hello. I'm Ted Seides, and this is Investment Management Operations. This show explores the inner workings of the most sophisticated institutions in the industry. Through conversations with executives across operations, compliance, legal, and finance, you'll hear how key operating partners run their businesses in an ever-changing and complex investment landscape. You can join our mailing list and access Capital Allocators content at capitalallocators.com. I'm Scott McDonald, and I'm your host. My guest on today's show is Sean Eng. Sean is the Managing Director of Risk, Analytics, and Investment Operations at the Cleveland Clinic Investment Office. Sean has been quite busy at Cleveland Clinic and does a few things differently that operational professionals should observe. Maybe this is why he and his team have won the Allocator Prize for Best Investment Operations of the Year. Sean joined Cleveland Clinic in 2016 after working over 10 years at the World Bank. Sometimes we need to look inward to find strength, and this is where Sean and his team shines. He shares how they created their investment office from scratch after the board opted to insource their investments from an OCIO. We later turn to how they partner with a hospital analytics team to build out more than 200 dashboards of dynamic data sets for their investment team. We cover a lot of ground here, so sit back. Please enjoy my conversation with Sean Eng. Sean, it's so great to see you, and I'm really excited to talk about what it's like to build an investment office from scratch. But first, tell me a little about yourself. From Singapore originally, born and raised there, finished my national service in Singapore before jumping to the UK, University of Manchester. That's where I had my first degree in accounting and finance. And then I started my career in London with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And then after five years, I went over to the World Bank. My previous audit manager got a role there. And two years after he joined, there was a vacancy. So he grabbed me over. I stayed there for 17 years before joining uh, Cleveland Clinic. I ended up in Cleveland Clinic after spending quite a few years in the capital allocators world with the World Bank pension plan. And then this opportunity came up and decided to jump a bit. And I've been here for seven years now with CCIO, Cleveland Clinic Investment Office. What were you doing when you were at the World Bank? In the last nine years of the 17 years, I was essentially playing the role of the chief operating officer for the World Bank Pension Plan, doing investment operations, performance, reporting, making sure that our capital costs and distributions are recorded properly, 
doing the accounting for the pension plan and valuations, making sure that they are accurate and reasonable, anything associated with investment operations, as well as non-investment risk. So liquidity risk, FX risk, we are responsible for that as well. And what was the appeal to moving over to Cleveland Clinic? LeBron James definitely was one. (laughs) (laughs) It's an opportunity to join a startup without really the risk associated with a startup. We used to follow an OCIO business model. And then 2015, the board of Cleveland Clinic decided to insource that function, partly because of the size of AUM has grown and partly because we want more control in how we manage the investments of this capital, which a majority of the capital is on balance sheet of Cleveland Clinic. So my CIO, Stefan Strein, was hired in 2015, and he was tasked to create a team. And I was essentially employee number two of this small startup. My job is really to create sophisticated investment office. So that opportunity is really appealing because you do not have any legacy systems that they have to work through. But it's a curse because we did not have any processes to start with. We had to start everything from scratch, systems, internal controls, design, partnering with vendors, as well as hiring the team. What was the size of Cleveland Clinic when you started? The size was about five people. Investments wasn't their full-time job. There were definitely other finance-related functions that these five people were responsible for. But the idea was really to create a full-time investment office that managed this pool of funds for Cleveland Clinic. Could you just give me an overview of you were using an outsourced provider and then the process of how do you start to think about slowly or quickly pulling those assets back in-house and then trying to get the pipe set up? We use the phrase max view a lot, which stands for maximizing value per unit of effort, because there are so many things we need to do. We have to come up with an ODD program. We have to make sure that our performance reports are reasonable. We have to make sure that our processes, once if investment decisions are made, how does it flow? So lots of different things that we have to decide and implement at the same time. And all these things, when you have only one or two people, and then you still have to do the HR task of coming up with job descriptions, interviewing candidates, it was definitely a lot of work. What motivated me is just the end goal of an opportunity to create something that I think is sophisticated enough to match the high quality and excellence culture of Cleveland Clinic. What was your approach to building the operations of this internal investment office from scratch? From day one, we are also very focused on playing the long game. So it's always a struggle of there are certain things that you can do it fast, but there are other things that if you cut corners, you know that you're not able to scale sometime in the future. Let me give you an example, Scott. So we always understood the growing importance of data 
from day one, we try to structure the team so that there is a way to get the high quality data into our system. We call it our internal data warehouse. And that's a decision that we made. Do we want to have an external vendor to manage our data or do we want to set up an internal data warehouse? And that's what we decided to do. And we spend a lot of time on garbage in, garbage out risk to address that, making sure that when data comes in, it's clean, it's data that we can use. The other thing that we thought, if we want to play the long game, we really need to have good internal controls. And the third one is very well-designed processes. How do you get from investment decisions to executing those decisions in a seamless way? So that is a process of knowing my CIO, learning about the number of trades that will be within a month, learning about the investment team members as well, their style. So we change the processes over time, all with the laser sharp focus of trying to make sure that we are implementing a custom process that suits CCIO based on the personalities that we have and based on the way that we invest. That has helped us a lot because right now, we are able to scale. Without those foundation blocks in place, we will not be able to be in a position today. And so with taking this build versus buy approach, which is a little atypical, a lot of people defer to, to the buy versus build. Walk me through what that does look like. Another thing that we have decided earlier on, Steph and I, my CIO and I, is to make sure that we are aware what are the expertise that are already available within Cleveland Clinic. I think for a few reasons. And one is speed. One is to make sure that we are not in an isolated island. We do not want investment office to be completely isolated from the rest of Cleveland Clinic. So we want to be really fully integrated with the operations of the enterprise. And then with that guiding principles, we look around and then making sure that if there are teams that are already doing internal data warehouse, if there are teams already doing our internal audit key controls, if you like, our expertise in those areas, we pull them out. We want to talk to them. So people often say that you want to keep your internal auditors as far away as possible. We did the opposite. We welcomed them. We said, we are new. We want to make sure that we design a very strong process with very strong internal controls. So I think our first preference will be to go to internal departments within Cleveland Clinic to provide us with services that we need. And then we benchmark them against what we could get outside, the buy versus build. And in this case, we're very lucky that many of these departments have a very, very high quality level. But also make no mistake about it, if they are not able to provide me with the same level of quality I get outside, then I have no choice. You know, For the benefit of Cleveland Clinic, I have to seek the services from outside. Did you go out in the market and actually assess what the outside landscape looked like before deciding to go in-house? That's back to the max view. So for some, yes. For others, once we were able to see what they were able to provide, we felt comfortable to go in-house. 
And Cleveland Clinic has a great reputation. So we have a culture of excellence and you feel it. As soon as you walk into Cleveland Clinic, you feel the sense of excellence. So we, we were very comfortable that these are good partners that we can work with. But yeah, for other vendors, like we're just more dedicated to investments, like our risk vendors, our CRM model, we did go outside, we did do some work to make sure that we pick the right partners. One question I have is, what's in it for the internal stakeholders? That's a good question. So again, very fortunate that Cleveland Clinic has a very team of teams culture. The investment office from day one as well, from inception, Another phrase that people hear a lot is what's best for Cleveland Clinic. So in this particular case, and not just with our internal partners, even with our custodians and external partners, we make sure that they know our mission. We make sure that they're aware of what we stand for. And then we're all trying to achieve that. So we are also very blessed that we have a very noble mission. We are here to provide excellent healthcare. We are here to educate those who provide healthcare. And we are here to innovate. Once people understand that, they understand why we are demanding and we're all working towards the same goals. So with the internal partners, it's easy to have that similar language. I still want to dig into the process of actually how you start with, you had some balance sheet assets, CCIO, and then you were starting to bring that in-house. What did that look like in terms of process and timeline? We came up with a transition plan with our OCIO partner. And then we decided on one date where we will cut off the ties with our OCIO and we took over full discretion of the portfolio. So during the transition stage is really partnering with the OCIO, going through every single investment, understanding what is the role of each manager. When we have sizing decisions to make, we made it together. So my CIO joined in 2015, and we didn't take over discretion until Q1 of 2017. And I joined about six months prior to taking over discretion. So we, we did have some time discussing with our OCIO, understanding the portfolio before we take over. In terms of the assets, we did not change our custodians. So the assets are residing with our existing custodians. The books and records are also with our custodians, even though the OCIO also have their own books and records. We did have to come up with the performance reports ourselves since our OCIO, they used to generate those. So we had a project plan surrounding that. But in terms of taking over discretion of assets, we literally pick a date and then making sure that we understood the portfolio sufficiently, as well as the investment operations side, making sure that we change the authorized signers. We set up a lot of brand new accounts because we wanted extra granularity at our custodian level. So all these things were done before we pulled a plug and said, okay, from this time on, we took over discretion and we do not need any of your middle and back office support from the OCIO. So it sounded like those investments in those managers were done on behalf of you, not in a pooled arrangement. Is that fair? Yeah, it's a variety. So we have separately managed accounts as well as our pool structures. The majority are actually in pool structures, but the books and records were still aggregated and rolled up into our custodian. So were there instances you had to redeem from certain pools and then you were getting cash and then having to reinvest in other opportunities? 
Not so much. So the plan has always been once the team has been created, then we go through the first two years is really re-underwriting the entire portfolio of managers. And then we obviously make some changes. There are some managers, and many of them, that we like already in the portfolio. There are some that we're not a big fan of, so we deem them and select new managers. And then you had to re-underwrite ODD for yourself? Yeah. So we spend a lot of time with the OCIO and go through each manager, their risks, their, their strengths, weaknesses. We did all that. Again, it's like how much time do you spend on each area, right? So ODD, I remember, is scratching my head and just trying to make sure that, go back to the first principles, what is the risk with ODD? When would you be really uncomfortable with ODD risk that you want to tell your CIO and let's pull out from this fund now? So we try to be laser sharp focused and identify those high-risk managers. And then the rest, we come up with a cadence depending on the nature of the risk, whether every three years or five years, we'll go back and re-underwrite them. Can you give me a little sense of what that early team looked like when you were building that out? So you have CIO yourself. Who else was in there as you were starting to think about how do we bring this stuff in-house? As you would expect, we try to bring in the senior management first because we want to allow the senior management to do the recruiting of the team members. So right now, we have four managing directors reporting to the CIO. So I'm one of them in charge of investment operations. And investment operations within CCIO is actually a misnomer. So I have three broad responsibilities. One is the traditional investment operations that includes performing ODD. The second one is investment analytics. So we make sure that we keep the data clean and we provide insight from data. And the third one is risk management. So risk management actually resides within my team. So that's one managing director's responsibilities. And then we have three other managing directors. One is on what we call equity strategies. So higher volatility strategies includes public equities, private equities, ventures, and then one managing directors on credit. So less volatile strategies, if you like, and then one managing director on research. So she is responsible for coming up with the asset allocations of the various pools of capital that we have. So we try to get those four MDs in place, and then we will go about hiring the rest of the team members. So I was definitely the first of the four MDs because I need to lay the pipes and do all the plumbing the risk function, that's a little atypical that risk would fall under operation. Usually I've seen it where it falls under somebody with an investment-oriented hat more so. Is that just a function of who you are? No, it was intentional. So Stefan, my CIO, always believed that it is important to have a dedicated group of team members who look purely at numbers very objectively answering the questions, what are the numbers telling me, regardless of what the managers say. So we don't meet with the managers as often as our investment professionals do for obvious reasons, but we do spend a lot of time on data. The hypothesis is when you spend so much time with the managers, inevitably, there will be some emotional attachment involved there. But we, the risk team, we just purely look at the numbers. If they tell us that they are a small value fund, but somehow we don't see the returns correlated with that, we let our investment team know. 
Was there anything in particular that was more challenging than you expected going into the taking it in-house? So I think it's back to what is most at stake here. If you recall in 2017, the equity markets was good. You're not sure when it's going to end. So we had to come up with the emergency action plan, we call it. If things change, which will be the first managers that we will like to redeem if we need liquidity for the organization or if we want to rebalance the portfolio and go offensive. We had to come up with things like that, even though not everything is in place and not everybody is, is on, on their seats yet. And we did hire a lot of top-notch people. We were very blessed and putting our heads together and said, what would be the cause of action to take if this and this were to happen? We're very focused on action-oriented decisions. And taking no action is the action itself. Don't get me wrong, we don't churn the portfolio very rapidly, but we are aware that taking no actions is a decision itself. So we try to come up with metrics and gender topics that will guide us to whether or not any actions need to be made. That helps us as well in terms of max view and 80-20 rule. Is there anything else that top of mind for you on the metric side that you could share? A lot of it is understanding how Cleveland Clinic look at our finances. This pool of assets also help with our credit ratings of Cleveland Clinic. So one ready metrics are the metrics associated with our credit agencies. The other type of task that we went through is what are the dashboards that we need to design inevitably that goes back to the question of metrics. What are you trying to measure and what are you trying to monitor? Initially, it's about quality and garbage in, garbage out, like I said. So a lot of the dashboards initially is to make sure that uh, there are no errors, whether from our side or from the custodian side, when they make entries. And then after that, we evolve to what are the insights that our investment professionals want to see to help them make sizing decisions or investment decisions. You built all these dashboards in-house off your data warehouse, isn't that correct? Yep. So we do have a risk vendor as well to the extent that we can get the answers from their dashboard and the user interface will do that. But there are some questions that occur so frequently that it makes sense for us to pump the data into our data warehouse and then design a dashboard specifically to answer those questions that are at our fingertips going forward. And what are you using for data visualization? We use Tableau. Why we use Tableau is because Cleveland Clinic is a heavy user of Tableau. You hinted at the custodial relationship. How critical is that from a data quality perspective? Huge in so many ways, not just data. I think data is a big component of that. But in so many ways, relationship with our custodian is critical. And they know that. And now we are really, really good partners. And that didn't happen from day one, obviously. We did not change our custodian, but obviously with the new office, new CIO in town and myself, we do have expectations that we want our custodian team members to meet. 
we spend a lot of time telling them about what are we about, what is this investment office is about, what is Cleveland Clinic is about. Senior management of our custodian actually came to the clinic and we organized on tours to let them know that at the end of the day, that's what the portfolio is here to do. So every basis point of alpha is going back to our patients and to the clinic. So we make sure that we are completely aligned with what the end goal is. And then there are certain expectations that we demand of ourselves that we want to see from our custodian. You know, just basic things like we want to be responsive. We want to be sure that when mistakes are made, we ask two questions. What happened and what can we do to prevent it from happening again? So the first team that were tasked to help us with that just couldn't meet those expectations that we laid out very clearly. So after, I want to say, nine months, we said we're given enough time and opportunity to hit those renewed expectations. Let's change the team members. Either that or we have to go with another custodian, which we know that we don't have the bandwidth to do. We changed the team members who supported Cleveland Clinic we interviewed the key folks. We spent the time to tell them what we are about. Things were so much better after that. Because they really appreciate as well. They love the fact that by helping Cleveland Clinic, they're actually doing something great for the world. It can be tricky because in this world where everything works fine, there's no response. It's all about the negative response. So when you had that conversation and initially saying, okay, this isn't really working out, did you get any resistance initially? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, it is a lot of work on their side to change the team members, to come up with new team members. So I got resistance from the relationship person at a custodian. And even I got resistance from internally within Cleveland Clinic because they are also used to certain folks within the custodian and they have really know our processes. But I think... After the implementation, after laying out expectations very clearly, everybody in hindsight would say that that's one of the best decisions that we have made. What are the characteristics of a successful custodial person in a custodial job working with Cleveland Clinic? No, that's a good question. Definitely make an effort to understand us. We make an effort to understand you. Making sure that we collectively are resourceful making sure what the end goal is. Because many times, once you get to a good relationship, they will tell us that, hey, Sean, if your process change in this way, it will actually help us a lot. And we do it. So because they are clear about what the end goal is. So it's not about changes on their side 100% of the time. Sometimes the end goal involves changes on my team in terms of processes. We need people who know how to get answers within a large organization like a big custodian bank. I think that's really critical. And then being able to do what I do, right? The difficult stuff of talking to team members and say, hey, you are not performing at the level that we expect you to. And we expect the custodian to have similar conversation because we want people to improve. We want them to get genuine, constructive feedback Many of them who work on our accounts subsequently get promoted. And I see that as a great thing. Some people see that as, oh, nice turnover. We are always willing to sit down with, especially the senior level stuff, and go through the tours, tell them again our mission, vision, and what we are here to do. 
And how often are you doing these check-ins? Is it real-time or some other frequency? We have a monthly update. It's more formal in nature. But then my team talks to the team at the Castillo Bank almost on a daily basis. So we try to meet face-to-face as well. And I would say every two, three years, we definitely would try to organize tours. And what do you look for in a custodian bank? The core responsibility will always need to be top-notch, meaning that to custody assets, securities, you have to be top-notch. To service a separately managed account together with the associated tax reclaims functions, you have to be top-notch. Your technology has to be top-notch so that it is efficient, it is accurate. And at the end of the day, is a people asset business. So making sure that you do have processes to promote your high potential team members from within, making sure that you have processes to recruit top individuals from outside. Those are what we look for. A lot of these custodial banks have a look and feel quite similar. What's the overarching distinction What's the one standout thing for you? You're absolutely right. And in my World Bank days, because we do manage assets for many developing countries, central banks, so we work across different custodians. And one thing you'll find that is the same custody bank can offer vastly very different level of service, quality of services. So that is also consistent with my statement that at the end of the day, it's a people business. You need to get the right person. Like you said, technology, you know, some may be slightly better than the rest, but it's not a slam dunk differentiator. So we go a lot with people, the interview the assessments of their key personnel, that's critical for us. So let's talk about what's going on today. So tell me a little bit about how you spend your day. Right now, we're busy. It's because we're implementing a new risk system. We're implementing a new tool that will help streamline our data gathering process from our external managers into our data warehouse. We have a new joiner. We just joined our team, so the onboarding process associated with that. We have lots of changes on one of the uh, portfolios. We manage four pool of funds, and one of the portfolios has some restructuring that we're going through. So very nuanced, tricky, complex that we need to pull in lawyers, offshore, onshore, our own internal in-house legal counsels our managers. So there's always different things. How big is CCIO today and how many investments do you have? How many managers do you work with? We have 25 people within CCIO. And I think across the four pools of funds, I want to say that we have about 100 active managers, definitely north of 250 in terms of funds, but in terms of managers, about 100. The other thing I talked about is the time you spent onboarding somebody. I'd love to hear about what you do to actually make people adopt the Cleveland Clinic way. It's something that we feel like we can always improve on. Typically, we have a folder that contains all the what we call essential documents 
for people to read. And that includes our IPS, includes our culture, includes our what we call the team norms. And then a lot of it, especially people in my team, there's a series of meetings to discuss the dashboards because a lot of the questions, you can actually get the answers from the dashboards. Part of the onboarding process is meeting the team, the 25 of us. So there's a standard procedure of we'll set up uh, individual meetings or in some cases will be team meetings with this newcomer. If the person reports to me or within my team is to understand the strength and how to make the person succeed or how to make sure that person reach the full potential for each person will be very different for another person. How are you in the ops team interacting with the investment team? So we practice a generalist model. And what that means is really everybody is encouraged to get involved in any parts of what we do, whether it's investing, whether it's this particular manager, whether it's a particular asset class, whether it's risks, whether it's ODD. We're invited to all these meetings. So my team members can sit in at the what we call the strategy meeting, which is the meeting where decisions are made as it regards to investments. They are encouraged to chime in, ask questions, a lot of homework to be done before you sit into these meetings because a lot of effort has been put into writing a lot of memos, so you're expected to come ready. In this interaction with the investment team, it's seamless. It's only 25 of us, so we see each other, all of us, to come back to the office between Tuesday and Thursday, and then Monday and Friday, we tend to work from home. There's nothing out of bound to anybody. They know how important we are in executing decisions so they keep us in a loop with all the latest ideas that they have, even if they may not pan out, which is what we ask them to do. Just keep us posted, even if if it's still early on in the due diligence stage. Just to give you an example of how closely we work together, all the projects that I talk about, the risk system project, the data project, it's all in conjunction with the investment team. They have, they have team members who are in that small project team. They make sure that all views are heard and the factors that need to work on are taken into considerations. Back to the reporting analytics pieces. On the data handoff, so you talk about garbage in, garbage out. What are you doing today on that piece of it that's so critical to making sure that at the end of the day, your dashboards are actually accurate? A lot of it is definitely on the front end when you design the process of piping the data in. That is what I talk about being scalable. So you put in the effort on the front end, now it becomes much easier. Obviously, whenever there are new accounts, new managers that we hire, we go through our checklist to make sure that all the data is populated correctly. And then when we design our processes to address this garbage in, garbage out risk, we came up with a lot of exception reporting. Whenever mistakes slip in, we ask ourselves that question is, what can you do to prevent it from happening in the future? A lot of it, we try to be preventative. So we want to stop it from happening. And then if you really can't do it or just an extra layer of safety, even if we feel confident that it can be prevented in the future, we also usually design a dashboard that captures exception reporting events, right? things that supposed to tie but don't spit out exception report. On that exception reporting, is that variance or what is that? Sometimes it's variance, sometimes it's number of records. So if it exceeds, if we always have 9,000 records and then today we've got 3,000, you know, spit out exception reporting. 
sometimes is the performance of our managers yesterday compared to our benchmark. Usually, the tracking error is of a certain size. If they exceed those thresholds, they spit out the exception reports. How do you mitigate the risk of that data starting at the custodian bank and making it all the way to your investment team's dashboard? Is there anything in that life cycle that you guys are working on that, that may be different than how others think about it? So everything is FTP or system to systems. So the process starts at 2 a.m. every day. Most of the data, I would say 70, 75% of the data is from the custodian. And then we also have set up the process with our risk vendors engine with Bloomberg, which provides a lot of the index data. We also have one of the four pools of funds is our pension portfolio. So we have some data from our actuary firm that piped in. We have from our CRM system. We also store many of our standing data, like our account name, the asset class names associated with each fund that get piped in on a daily basis. Because it's so seamless, it's all system to systems. It's not a heavy lift once you have designed a strong process. And do you think about liquidity in the same fashion? We do have a liquidity engine that also get piped into our data warehouse. So anybody can go to our dashboard, select the fund, and they'll tell you by what date you need to submit the redemption documents. And then by what date you'll get what amount. Just at your fingertips, you could typically get the answers that you need. When you're building this liquidity table, one of the things I've always observed is I can read the liquidity. I can read the document and say, oh, we're going to get our money 90% this time. And then I call the IR team and they say, well, I read it that way. How do you sync up with the GP on that? Several things. One, if that happens, then we have to remodel it in, in our dashboard. I think assuming that the GP is right and we misinterpreted it, then we're going back to the dashboard and remodel within our liquidity engine. And then the second thing that we have put in place, you know, just to that point, is even if both of us have similar interpretations, sometimes it's the, is it a Hong Kong time? Is it the US time? Which holidays? You do not know the international holidays. We always make it part of our process is just to confirm with the GP once a decision is made that, hey, we're going to send you the docs on this date. Is that correct? And most of the time they say, oh yeah, or they will, they will suggest a different date. CCIO has the tendency to execute last. So because of that, we evolve the processes to take into account this last-minute nature or the potential last-minute nature of our trade. So my processes here look very different from the processes that I had at the World Bank. So we talked about the Cleveland Clinic board early on with the decision to actually bring everything in-house, build the team out. What does that interaction look like today? Very constructive, very good. I always feel very heartened that the kind of discussions that we have is the substantive strategic topics that we discuss. They have full trust in us after the first few initial years. We have delivered quite a lot. We have good results. Definitely, I think one common thread is always coming back to the question, and I love that which is what's best for Cleveland Clinic. So the pool of capital that we manage is very integrated to 
how successful we want Cleveland Clinic to be, the missions and the OKRs of Cleveland Clinic. It's about investment results and liquidity and all the other facades of investment management. How do we add value? How do we play a part when we discuss the next challenge for Cleveland Clinic or the next big goal that we're trying to achieve? I always tell my family that I've never been as proud as I've been in my career than I was during the COVID days. What happened during COVID in the healthcare industry? 1.5 million healthcare workers lost their job. Many more were furloughed. Cleveland Clinic did not do any of those. Our CEO, Dr. Mahalovich, um, made the tough decision of converting our education health campus into a temporary hospital because we were worried about the COVID surge. So it's a Herculean task. We have to pipe in oxygen, ventilators. Definitely an example of how team of teams work within Cleveland Clinic because all the clinical leaders were involved, operations, construction, design, nursing teams. And Dr. Mahalaj were able to make that decision partly because of the investment results that we have. He would have made the same decision, but I think we helped to make the decision a bit easier. It's just very inspiring to be part of the entire operations. And coming from somebody who actually feel that it's sacred to have dinner with my family members each night, where you meet the frontline healthcare workers who couldn't be close to their family members for months, not just days and weeks, but for months. And then once Ohio is under control, people raise their hands and volunteer to go to Michigan and New York to help out. Just very heartwarming and very inspiring. That's my story of why Cleveland Clinic is such a great place to offer your investment talent. It's also a case study on preparedness of the unexpected and tracking liquidity and how important that may be in a time the time frame is unknown. A lot of people don't, or they have a rough estimate. To have a crisp sense of liquidity is so critical in time of crisis. That's right. I mean, the dashboard was so helpful. So we have very frequent meetings with our finance teams. What do they need? What do they want to see? What are the latest challenges that the leadership is trying to overcome? How can we help? I love investments, but I love it even more when the goal of the investment results is going towards amazing missions like this, just saving lives. Where are you guys going? What does the future look like near term for you, given all the things that you are thinking about? Yeah, so many things that are keeping us busy and keeping us very excited. Well, first of all, the clinic is definitely doing a lot of exciting things too. We are, by the way, the only healthcare organization that has a quantum computer within the premise, trying to do great things in terms of drug discovery by using technology. We're also having the biggest brain study that the world has ever seen. We are building a neural center that will cost quite a bit of money. And then how do we translate that within the Cleveland Clinic is if we get 400 basis points more of alpha, we will be able to help significantly with this construction effort. A lot of 
exciting things that a clinic is doing specifically within CCIO. I think the big thing for us is monitoring the potential of AI, at least in my team. So on the investment side, the AI theme has been ongoing for a while now. That is not my area of expertise, but definitely we have benefited from the AI craze lately. But from the operations perspective and the data perspective is how do we leverage AI to number one, for efficiency gain within the office and number two, in throwing out insight to facilitate investment decision making. Any advice for managers that want to work with Cleveland Clinic? Get to know us. Hopefully, they'll find us inspiring. Maybe give more meaning to the work that they do because if they are successful, lives are being saved here. If you can understand that, I think it will provide an extra motivation to most people's work. I would just say that, you know, we have really created something quite beautiful. When I say we, it means Stefan and I, means the leaders of Cleveland Clinic, means Cleveland itself, because it is an excellent place to work in for investment professionals. I talk a lot about meaning, how inspiring I got during the COVID days. Most of the talented individuals want an intellectually stimulating environment. We offer that not just because we're in the asset management business, but because the people that we hire always have very deep expertise in certain areas. And then you couple it with a generous model. So if you're an expert in real estate, but you want to dabble in public equities, this is also a place for you. You can actually see that if, if you're involved in risks and you want to write a paragraph or two within the investment memo, this is a place that allow you to do that. This place is a place where we want our co-workers to succeed. So we take a lot of pride and celebration when we see our co-workers improve and succeed and because each person is so unique. So your success will look very different from my success or how I add value. And we want people who do that. So, Sean, we close with a couple of questions we like to ask people. What advice would you give an emerging investment office from an operations perspective? We do see a lot of outsourcing trends. They outsource their IT. Some outsource even their compliance. And we generally view that as a good thing. I think focus on what you're doing best. But as you outsource, be sure that you're outsourcing the task, but you're not outsourcing the responsibilities. So make sure that you do have processes in place to know that you're getting good advice, to know that things have not changed sufficiently for you to start looking for a different partner so that responsibility still resides within the firm. And then the last question, what is the one industry resource that you most commonly refer to people? You will love to hear this. I always give them Capital Allocators podcast. <laughs> the latest newcomer in my team. So he has limited experience in investing. He's more of an analytics AI person. He enjoyed the podcast. Scott, you and Ted Siders and Hang, the team, have really done a fantastic job. Well, thank you. We couldn't do it with you and others, so we appreciate that. 
Well, Sean, this has been a wide-ranging, forward-looking, backward-looking conversation. <laughs> I've learned a few things along the way, and thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, hop on our website at capitalallocators.com, where you can access past shows, join our mailing list, and sign up for premium content. Have a good one, and see you next time. Thank you.